Welcome to Tectonic, episode number 31. This is a weekly talk show revolving around the seismic shifts in technology, culture, and the digital age. I'm your host, Joe Darnell, and with me tonight is my friend, my co-podcaster, Mr. Joshua Pfeiffer. Hi, Joshua. Hey, good evening. What's going on? Well, let me see here. You just got back from New York. I did. And you came back with your lovely wife, right? Yes. Well, I did bring her with me. Yes. Okay. And you had some adventures with your new iPhone 6S. What's that about? You actually made the switch from the 6S Plus to the 6S just before the trip. Yeah, I went ahead and downgraded right before uh, the 14 days was up. Uh, I absolutely loved the Plus. It was just way too big and heavy for me. I've got smaller hands, so I went with the 6S, and it's nearly a perfect phone. I, I just cannot say enough good things about it. It's just, it's it's great. The only downside, which I discovered in New York, uh, and, I, and I came with a, a, a separate battery just in case, because I saw this coming, uh, was the battery life like I was I was hardly no. u- using the thing, tr- you know, trying to save the battery, and yet still it just came. It seemed to, uh, I guess, drain faster than I was hoping uh, in, mm. in in average use. So there was that. So I would say 6s perfect phone. Just battery issue is the only the only thing I can think of to critique. But yeah, I'm loving it so far. I got the I, I got the gold version, so I'm feeling luxurious. Really? See, I, I pictured you with the bros gold. I was close. I was close, but they said that they didn't have it. So, I, all right, I'll go with the gold and maybe next time. Okay. Yeah, that'll do. That'll do, Joshua. Good job. <laughs> and so I used the watch around. That's one of the reasons I bought the watch was was because of this uh, uh, Manhattan trip. And I, I thought it would be useful, but it turned out it just wasn't. I mean, New York is so crazy <laughs> trying to get the, the watch to do what you need to do with people bumping into you. It's just like. You just keep walking and forget yeah. about the watch. So it, it was not as as instrumental through the entire trip. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It wasn't. It wasn't. But oh well. I still like it. Mm. Not motioning any Uber cars to you from the watch. Uh you know, I, I just used the app, the iPhone app for Uber, but huh. it it was uh, it was pretty cool. I, I only used it twice from the hotel to a, to a friend's, and then from the friend's to the airport. And I fired it up and. Like the car was there before I got my shoes on. It was, it was, it was pretty cool. So I'm, I'm, I'm excited about Uber. Yeah. That's what everyone says. Yeah. My wife uses Uber. We get them out here over to our house a couple of times a season because we have a reason for who knows what, maybe somebody just going to the airport. Yeah. They're, they're great. Yep. Well, we're going to talk a little bit more about other tech stuff with our guest. So I'm going to go ahead and introduce Micah Pogue. How are you doing, Micah? Good evening, Joe. I'm doing fantastic. Thank you for having me. Thank you uh, for joining us. This is your first time to Tectonic, and I wanted to have you for some time. You happen to be on a business trip. You're using your, your rocking. No, I don't know how to say this. You're just like, you're taking over the hotel room with your Mac Mini. Digging in. It's fantastic. I'm impressed by your tech skills, sir, taking the desk with you everywhere. I, I picture you with sort of a laptop bag that functions like Mary Poppins carpet bag. You open it up, you pull out your 23 inch cinema display, you set it up there and then you get out your Mac mini and then a large mechanical keyboard or whatever it is you do like you do and uh, go to town. Actually, what, ta- what takes you, to, you said you're in Jacksonville. 
Jackson, Mississippi, yeah, the capital of Mississippi, and I'm actually up here beginning a new phase in my career. I'm actually in some orientation classes for a brand new job I have accepted, and uh, I'll mention more about that later, I guess. But yeah, so this is orientation week, and so I get the evenings off, so I fill it with study time, and the reason I brought all of this tech stuff, uh, all of my equipment was, I knew I was going to be here for about a week, and I wanted to dig my heels in, and... I only have a desktop, a Mac Mini. So, have you experienced any sort of hiccups using this sort of remote desktop setup experience? Do Do you not have a uh, MacBook of any kind, a, a notebook computer of any kind, and ex- experience with one? No, I've never owned a, a, a MacBook Pro or a MacBook. So you haven't been spoiled just yet. <laughs> no, and I look forward to it. No, the only laptop I have is a six-year-old Dell <laughs> laptop, and I never use it. Uh, no, my, of course. My dad, no, absolutely not. No, my dad uses it, and uh, no, I've been on a Mac for for a very for a long time, and uh, just this Mac Mini, and uh, it's 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 in 2011, and uh, it's everything I need right now. So yeah, I normally do not dig in like this. It's just th- this week I wanted to do some you know uh, some personal studies, and I'm, I'm working my business degree online. I'm also working on some business process methodology certifications for that'll help me in my in my own business and i'm studying and enduring orientation for <laughs> my new job so i'm busy if you want to i'll just go ahead and get into what i'm what i'm actually doing i just have one question though go ahead is your hotel room one of those that have the absolutely fantastic desk chairs <laughs> Now that you mention it, absolutely. I'm actually very jealous of this not having this chair. Um, very ergonomic and very comfortable. I love technology. I love. I just love what they're doing with chairs these days. Yeah, we're gonna have to have a whole cha- episode about chairs. It's important. I mean, guys like us sit probably more often than we'd like to admit, and doing you know, various computer things. I'm interested in the stand-up desk concept. I like standing up and sitting down, but having kind of a interchangeable position you know, every throughout the day. Oh, yeah. If you're going to sit down. Like we talked about with Brett last week. It just sounds like yeah. the, the way to go. I mean, the next year you get the, the treadmill desks. I'm not that mm-hmm. advanced just yet, mm-hmm. but I can see that in my future, maybe maybe a 10 years down the road. Yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe. That, that's what you use at the Air Force, right, Joshua? Yeah, I've, I've built a stand-up desk uh, in my cube, or in my cube, and uh, yeah, like four or five other folks have followed suit out of like twenty-five people in my office. So yeah, I'm like a trendsetter and mm. uh, a thought leader. But did you see the? Uh, there was a recent article I just posted on the Onion, which uh, the title was "More Office Workers Switching to Fetal Position Desks." What? <laughs> I I just saw that video a minute ago. <laughs> It was great. I mean, it's the onion, so it's satire. I'm going to share a clip of the video in our podcast. It's so good. I'm going to have a link to <laughs> it in the great. show notes. You got all these people laying down on their sides, like in a fetal position with laptops. It's it's pretty it's pretty funny. A new trend in offices across the country: more and more people are switching to fetal position desks so that they can curl up in a ball on the floor while they work. Aaron Vaughn has a story. I'm here at the offices of Slash Forward Marketing, one of the many companies where employees are throwing out their chairs in favor of working from the fetal position. Wellness experts say it's the best way to stay healthy and productive at work. The human body isn't meant to sit at a desk for six or seven hours. The natural position, especially in the workplace, is to shut down completely, return to a womb-like state, and rock back and forth to soothe yourself. (laughs) Oh, wow. 
Okay. Okay. So Micah, back to reality. What are you doing now? Uh, I'm going to be working for a company uh, called Seaspire. It is the largest privately owned wireless company uh, in the nation. And I will be a uh, sales guy, if you will. I'll be on the sales floor uh, helping people uh, transition to or uh, start a new uh, path with a new device, whether it's iPhone, Android, an iPad, other types of tablets. The reason I took this job was mainly for the experience. Um, I've been in customer service experience uh, positions in the past, gained a lot of experience there, but uh, I wanted to get into something a little more regular, and but also wanted to be picky about what I would do in, in a position like that. And being close to devices, like I'm very familiar with, Apple products particularly, uh, was a must if I was going to take a job like this. I'm just sinking my teeth into it. I'm really going to focus on it and polish my people skills, polish my troubleshooting skills, which I think are critical, especially for the type of work I want to do in my own business, which I'm not completely putting on hold. I'm, I'm going to, it's been, a, it's always been a brainchild since I came up with the idea in 2012, which is, by the way, the Mac Enterprise. And the business is revolving around uh, Apple and business and the, the world that's being created now, or has been for a while, of, of small businesses, uh, whether they're privately owned or large businesses and corporations, integrating Apple products. And I'm studying the nuances of that and why businesses of all shapes and sizes are moving in droves to Apple's ecosystem. All the amazing things in between, details and troubleshooting and time management, project management, technology management, all that. The Mac Enterprise is all about the Apple and business colliding Joe, you've had, uh, you were a very special guest on my show, uh, the Mac Enterprise Podcast, which has been put on hold just because I'm trying to polish what the mission and purpose of the podcast is. And so, yeah, that's that's what I'm doing right now. So I'm up here with orientation with my new job and gaining all the experience I can. So that's why I'm here. Fantastic. Yeah, I really like the idea you have for your main business, the Mac slash Enterprise. It's a good business idea. All the updates that we got from Apple about their earnings, you know, the earnings call look really good for your business. All the, the Macs that they're selling these days. Yeah, I'm glad they're not going whole hog into the enterprise. Uh, I, I like how they're kind of trickling in and doing it right. Um, they're, 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 their affiliations now with IBM and I want to say Cisco. So yeah, that, those are IBM and Cisco are uh, big names in enterprise technology. When I see Apple rubbing shoulders with them, I'm excited. And Apple is producing some more robust features in their devices to help integrate them into businesses. To the point now, it's almost hard to keep up. I mean, I'm I'm looking on their web page more often now just to make sure I'm not missing anything. And the more I dig, there are adding some pretty uh, pretty exciting features. And I'm wondering if they're being utilized enough. And that's kind of what the Mac Enterprise is for. It's to help bring those details to the surface and uh, stand with small businesses or large businesses and corporations and help them better use these devices that are very current, very fast, efficient, and really just fun to use. It's, it's, it doesn't feel like work sometimes. It's just you wake up and you know what the, the mission and purpose of your work is, but also you have the perks <laughs> of using Apple stuff. So it, it really feels more fun than than like work. I agree completely. You know, working for the Air Force, we have to use, of course, uh, Windows computers of various uh, shades of, you know, back to Windows 95, actually. And I, I've thought I would take a huge pay cut just to be able to work on on uh, Apple ecosystem all day. It would just make my life like so much better. It'd be worth at least like 10 grand. 
<laughs> you and many, you and many, many more. <laughs> Would you be willing to use something like boot, or what is it called, boot camp, and uh, boot up in a virtual machine? Is that an option for you, Joshua? Uh, it's absolutely not an option. No, mm, that's too bad. Yeah, security well, purposes, I guess. Oh yeah, it's it's, and it's not even just the regular Windows. They get they pay Microsoft to to take Windows and make it more horrible for more for the Air Force. <laughs> oh yeah. And yeah, it's a long story, but yeah, I just thought I'd throw that in there. <laughs> you know, just the, you know, the, the, uh, the user experience is not, not there. Mm, I sympathize. I'm wary. <laughs> so I, I like what I've got going on here. I really enjoy freelance. I really enjoy my clients. I love it that they can't tell me what to do. It's, it's a great arrangement. One of the things I'm looking forward to in my day job is I'll be able to obviously integrate with other platforms that I previously didn't care to spend the money on. Uh, I would love to have them as a plaything to kind of get my feet wet, particularly with Android. But in this job, uh, I will be issued a company phone. And so I was able to choose yesterday. Don't don't throw tomatoes just yet. I have picked the, see if I can remember the name, of the Samsung <laughs> Galaxy S6 Edge. Yes. <laughs> Believe it or not, every time I'm in a Best Buy and I pass the table to see and I see that phone, for some reason, I've always been drawn to it just as a cool, well, a plaything, never a, never something to replace you know, anything that I have in terms of cell phone. Is that the one that has the built-in stylus? No, that is the new Note 5. Uh. And I think they have a previous generation Note that does have the stylus as well. I'm, suffice it to say, I'm, I'm looking forward just to playing with it. And uh, yeah. it is a business phone. and But it's good, again, for the experience of uh, platform switching and going back and forth. It's important that I get a, a, a different feel. and uh, I believe it. Well, congratulations, Micah. Sounds very exciting. Thank you. I'm really eager to see what happens to the Mac Enterprise. Yes, I'm going to be keeping everybody posted on my blog and social media. So, thank Yeah. All right, so we'll move on to a little bit of follow-up. Last week, I talked about RSI problems and peripherals with Brett Terpstra. We got into keyboards, the mechanical type. We talked about chiclet keyboards, and you knew it was coming. I, I had to get the Apple Magic Keyboard. I have the new device. I have it right here before me. Joshua, can you guess what I think about this keyboard? Uh, is it better than expected and people will like it? Yes. I'm sorry. I'm just reading the outline that I shouldn't have, <laughs> I shouldn't have done that. That was bad. Bad, bad co-host. Bad. Okay, Joshua, tell me more. What else do I think about this thing? <laughs> Something about eject key question mark? I don't know. <laughs> yes. You just read my notes. It's great. You're really good at this. Okay. So uh, the new keyboard looks a lot like the old one. If you remember the, the previous Apple keyboard had a large cylindrical top, so that would give it a nice uh, arc. So the, the top of it was this long rod that was a part of the aluminum body. And inside of the rod, you'd have the batteries, the chamber. Well, that's gone. And because that's gone, now the entire keyboard can be more flat. It's thinner. It's been streamlined. It has built-in batteries. And those rechargeable batteries could be reshaped to fit any kind of body style that Johnny Ive, those engineers at Apple, wanted to create. So they have slimmed it down it's it's very flat. It feels like I'm just typing on wafer cookies. I mean, this thing is just really thin. And it's a full-size keyboard. In some ways, the keys, some most of the keys are actually a little bit larger than the previous generation, and it just feels right. So even though the overall body of this keyboard is smaller, keys being bigger, it's very comfortable to type on. 
Now, the, the big question, though, is what do the keys feel like? Because they don't have as much key travel down as the last generation. They're more stable, so there's not as much rocking. There's not any, uh, much wobbling. And with every key press, I am more aware, more attuned to what's going on because it is a newer keyboard. For that reason, I've been going very slowly, gentle with the keyboard, getting accustomed to its feel and making sure I get to the arrow keys in the right way. The arrow keys changed, so they look different and they feel different. And when you move your hand down to the arrow keys, it's kind of tricky to find the right placement with your fingers from muscle memory. Everything that everybody has already said about this keyboard and any kind of review you'd come across on the internet has, is all true. Everything about it is true. I think everybody's going to like this keyboard. It's going to take them maybe a little bit of time for the, for the Apple fans that really were dedicated to the previous generation because it does feel slightly different, but it's a good different because it's more like the experience of a keyboard on a MacBook rather than what you are familiar with in the past with a desktop setup. I like a keyboard that feels almost the same whether I'm on the go or I'm at the desk. And therefore, my muscle memory is hardly ever confused. Because it, its experience is that much closer to that of the MacBooks, it's a good thing. The one thing, though, I wonder about it is they've updated the size and the, a little bit of the layout of the keys, but they haven't changed any of the buttons that are actually on the board. So real quick, my one question is, why do we need a dedicated eject key in the top right corner of the keyboard at this day and age? It feels dated at this point. There's a lot of ways you could pull this off. You could have, I mean, there's ways from the operating system that you can eject a disk if you have one from your external CD-ROM drive. Not many people have computers with CD-ROM drives anymore. So why do we need a dedicated button for it? It's sort of a, a waste of space there in the top right corner. I thought something a bit more practical uh, might be in order, maybe a button that press it and it would call up a, a menu that would ask you, do you want to put your computer to sleep or into lock it or to set up a screensaver or shut down, restart? Something like that, a contextual menu would be uh, inviting. I just don't see the the use of a daily eject key. I'm thinking uh, emoticons. Yes, the special characters key. Yeah, you just hit that, it brings up all of your, the appropriate smiley faces. Yeah, there you go. I mean, you would use that more than the uh, eject key. Well, biggest question is, what are you ejecting? Exactly. <laughs> I may get the dates wrong, but I think the last MacBook Pro that has an obstacle drive is a 2011 or 2010, and they still sell it. Apple does. That, I believe, is the only thing that still has an optical drive. Yeah, not even the iMacs. No. Not even the Mac Pro has a CD-ROM bay. What are we ejecting? What what still has an optical drive that they still sell? A MacBook? or? Yeah, an old MacBook. Mm-hmm. Huh. Yep. I did not know that. I'll have to go to the Dinosaur Museum to see that. <laughs> and the only way I can really be so emphatic about that is because I'm in my hotel is like 60 seconds from the Apple store, and uh, I've been there a couple times this week, and uh, I saw it again. I just kind of... SMH, you know, why? <laughs> <laughs> it really is fascinating how quickly they uh, we were able to 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 uh, I guess evolve. You know, when they first started taking them out of computers, I was like, whoa, that's that's radical. I mean, CDs, DVDs, that's how we put our software on. That's how we back stuff up. You know, I, I was I was really taken back, but like in like no time whatsoever. It's like, who in the heck would use an optical disc? It really is fascinating. Exactly. 
Okay, guys, are y'all ready to move on to the main discussion? Oh, yeah. All right, sweet. I've been saving this one up for a while now. We needed to get the right people for the review. We're talking about the Steve Jobs movie and everything we, uh, we feel about it, our movie review mindset. Everybody here has seen the movie, right? This is the new Steve Jobs bio, if you can call it a biopic. Yeah, I thought Ashton Kutcher was great in it. Mm. It's not... Oh, sorry. Did you, did you watch that one in preparation for this film? I didn't. I, I'd like to re- re-watch it, though. Mm, they have nothing in common, really. <laughs> <laughs> you know, okay, so I guess I'll just start off real quick. I love the story of Steve Jobs and Apple so much that you'd have to really butcher it for me not to enjoy the experience. Oh, that's an interesting point. I've enjoyed both of them, you know, knowing errors, whatever. I mean, big picture, love the story, you know, let me sit back and enjoy. I don't know. That's kind of my, my very top level analysis, if that makes sense. Okay. Yeah. So you enjoyed this film and the previous one? Yeah, sure. Okay. Oh, have you seen Pirates of the Silicon Valley? Oh yeah. Johnny Depp is, is cute. Oh yeah. Wait, what? <laughs> Wrong show. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I believe I've seen that one. And even that was like, I just didn't, I don't know. I just enjoy the, the story so much. I'm sure it was like terrible acting and, and terrible production on that one. I don't know. In some ways it's my favorite. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not going to complain. Okay. I'll have to rewatch that one too. We'll have a whole, we'll have a Apple movie weekend around the house this weekend. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. And Micah, what do you think? <clears throat> I, let's see. I've seen... I've seen the Aston Kutcher film. It's been a couple years now since I've seen it. And then uh, this one, Steve Jobs, directed by uh, Danny Boyle. I uh, I saw it last night, took the, the late showing at 9.55, got out around 12. When I first walked into the theater, I realized that, yeah, I would be the only one watching it. <laughs> oh, yeah. And uh, before before I've seen the film, I've, I've, I've heard uh, among the internets uh, you know, all kinds of back and forth over mischaracterizations and, and inaccuracies uh, from people within Steve Jobs' immediate circle. And uh, I've, I've, I've heard opinions from all, all, all angles, uh, from Apple critics and Apple fanboys and fangirls and everybody in between. And uh, to be very clear, there's opinions from people that haven't seen the film, and there's people have opinions that have seen it. And uh, if you watch the film with those presuppositions in mind, which is what I did. Uh, the things I've heard are not necessarily true because a lot of people have yet to see the film for loyalty reasons. All that banter online about, you know, the, the, the legitimacy of this film and how accurate or inaccurate it is, is definitely affected my assumptions of the film for sure, but not in a bad way. I really, uh, there are certain types of people that are going to see this film. There are, first of all, the people we're familiar with and can relate to, the diehard Apple fans, the the the, the fans that love Steve Jobs differently uh, than most people do. You know, some so many people see him as a you know big business figure, uh, mover and a shaker in the technology world, um, and nothing more. Um, a lot of people have an emotional connection with him because he was the brainchild of the tech we are so fond of in many ways. He was even thinking of the Apple car. I, I just saw a blip in the news today that he was thinking of the Apple car in 2008 and decided to go whole hog. I, I'm sorry, I think it was 2006. And he decided to go whole hog into the iPhone instead. So he's touched so many things that we're very familiar with. And uh, so consequently, we're going to approach the film in all kinds of different ways. 
if I had to sum up my, in one word, what I thought about the film, it'd be intense, uh, very intense, as opposed especially to the Ashton Kutcher film. Was it called Jobs or, or Steve Jobs? Just Jobs. Jobs. That felt more, in comparison to me, it felt more like a comedy. But it wasn't. There was, or at least a lighthearted, dramatic. Lighthearted. Affair. That's a better. That's a better descriptive word. Just intense. This is not a typical film. Uh, Boyle's film. This is not a. This is not a biography. Uh, or I'm sorry. This is not a documentary, at all. You know, in, in no no way. So a lot of people I think are assuming that it is, and you know they can take everything that's going to be on the screen at face value. That's what happened. Oh my gosh, no. Again, with that in mind, I was very, I was still very excited to see the film. I proved it to myself at the end. I think the biggest reason I liked the film was because it. I think it captured at least how Jobs made people feel when they worked around him. Granted, the details and the facts are probably misconstrued or just elaborated or had taken a lot of creative liberties on, but I think. The emotions surrounding what it was like to work with Steve Jobs were probably very, very close to accurate, because I felt, I felt what um, Joanna Hoffman, played by Kate Winslet, uh, I was so in her shoes. I mean, the 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 vibes from Jobs, you know, when he was in her face and when they were going on these back and forths was just it was real. I was very impressed with the. Back, back up. I was very fond of Walter Isaacson's book, Steve Jobs, uh, and that is a biography um, on on Steve Jobs. And I was very, very fond and excited about that book. And I read it. And it's the fastest book I've ever read, I think. So when I heard that this film was based, however loosely, on that, obviously it was you know an easy decision. I was going to see the film, and uh, so then I heard that it's not it's not only loosely based, it's mainly referenced more of a, a more, it's a reference book for the film, not, not a blueprint by any means. Uh, he could have gone so many different directions with this film. And I, I like that he kept it simple and focused on, you know, the three big, some of the, the three big early phases of Steve Jobs post 97 return to Apple. Well, actually they also captured that very moment too. And then around these, uh, product launches. And uh, I liked that setup. I liked that staging of Jobs' delivery and how how he was as a person. Um, so intense. I thought the movie was very intense. And uh, I think they came pretty close to nailing just what it felt like to be around a person uh, like Steve Jobs. And uh, I, I was... I wasn't captivated. I, as a matter of fact, I was in one scene. I hadn't realized my mouth was open for a very long time until I shut it. And it's like, oh my gosh, I, <laughs> my mouth is dry. And uh, I was really captivated. I, I think the the yeah, I, I, there was just a couple times where I was really sucked into it. And um, and it's not without its faults. And there's plenty of them in terms of what actually happened. Interesting. I love how everything you just said there really is spoiler-free. I, I don't know how you pulled it off. I've reviewed <laughs> dozens of movies. I cannot do it. I, I spoil everything. So we're going to sound the spoiler horn now. I'm just sorry. It's it's going to happen. I imagine most of the people who are interested in this film have already seen it. Maybe less than half of you that remain Agreed. are going to catch it when it's, you know, comes out on home video. Joshua, you saw it a couple of weeks ago too, right? Yeah, I saw it about... Uh, uh, 10 days ago or so. Okay. Were you interested in it besides re- preparing for the podcast? Oh, yeah. I wasn't sure we were even going to talk about it, but yeah, I definitely wanted to see it in the theater. 
and I was uh, amongst like four strangers. So yeah, that was <laughs> 10 days ago. So yeah, it uh, wasn't too popular in my hometown. <laughs> yeah. Well, it came out a few weeks ago. It was out on October 9th. It had a soft opening and then a wider release later. But even now that it's been all over the country, you know, this film had a production budget of $30 million and domestically it's made $15,325,053 according to box office mojo. Ouch. Yeah. It's, uh, it's not faring too well. The critics consensus on Rotten Tomatoes says like the tech giant co-founded by its subject, Steve Jobs gathers brilliant people to deliver a product whose elegance belies the intricate complexities at its core. And I, I feel like that is a great way to sum up a lot of your feelings about it, Micah, because there is all this weighty complexity and it is intense, but it's also kind of thrilling because you know that there's a lot of human emotion mixed in with this whole bag of, of feelings and ideals. They're really addressing Steve Jobs' relationships throughout the movie. I noticed this a lot. It's not something that came through in the trailer, but what did come through to me in the trailer was that it was going to be like a performance of a three-act play. It was going to feel a lot like a play. And that's very true about the screenplay. The dialogue, it's very dialogue heavy. The first act of the film dwells on the 1984 Macintosh introduction, or should I say the stuff leading up to the introduction of that computer. So stuff going on on stage, backstage, before they unveil the Mac. And it builds up to this very exciting moment when they're going to unveil the Macintosh. And you think, are they actually going to show just a glimpse of Steve coming out on stage in performance mode? But they really don't. And that was what I was hoping to see, just to get a, a glimpse of, because that would have connected this fictional Steve to the Steve I have seen in real life. You know, I've seen the videos of the unveiling of the 84 Macintosh and just to see for a second, the fictional Steve segueing into what I have seen from video copy would have been great to kind of help me like really sink into the story and feel like it was real. But already in the film, we'd seen more than 20, 30 minutes worth of of drama unfold and everything we were seeing was something that was new. We're seeing the relationships of that Steve has with Lisa, his, his young daughter at the time with Joanna and with his estranged girlfriend, Chris Ann, Chris Ann. Yeah. And then you also have Steve Wozniak. He has this difficult relationship with at the time they're butting heads that they're still working together at Apple at the time. And then you have John Scully, who at the time is Steve's boss and mentor. And it, it, everything seems to be uh, heading in the wrong direction. And act two, where they then unveil, they kind of give this little mo news montage, right? After they move away from the 84 Macintosh event, they move into this montage that presents the news, showing how Steve had lost his job Apple wasn't doing so well. Steve created the next company and started working on the next computer and the computer line. And then we start seeing the backstage events there in 1988. And it's interesting, right? Because I think that this is the segment of Steve's life we know the least about. There's the least biographical information that really flushes out details of what went on. We have a lot of generalities. We just don't have a lot of specifics. Because it, it was a company that ultimately was 
not a failure, but bought out by Apple corporate. So it's not like a lot of people have really told its story. It's going to recede into the, the annals of the tech industry. But we got to see bits and pieces of what the next company was like. And he's still dealing with Joanna Hoffman. And he's still dealing with Steve Wozniak. All the people who showed up in Act 1 show up again backstage, mind you, when he has nothing to do with them anymore in the day-to-day. He's not working alongside of them. They just keep showing up. And that's when it began to feel more artificial to me. Because... These people, yes, were a part of Steve's life, but why are they a part of this day, this, these events? They're not really. They're not really the people that Steve would have seen that day. Andy Hertzfeld, maybe, but I don't even know if he was working with Next. So it was just interesting that that was when I began to realize a lot of what we're seeing here is not trying to be accurate to the details, to the facts of what happened. Then after presenting the next segment, which makes a third of the film, we get to really the juicy finale. A lot of things are happening. They move 10 years into the future, 1998, where they're unveiling the, the first iMac. And by now, again, another news montage shows how in the 10 years that have transpired, Steve went back to work at Apple. So John Scully was fired. Interesting things have happened. It's not clarified, but Steve Wozniak doesn't work at Apple at the time that he is unveiling the iMac. And yet again, all the same cast of characters show up one more time. I think except for Chris Ann. One thing that really bugged me for this last portion of the film was that they didn't explain that Lisa was actually living with Steve Jobs and that they had patched up a lot about their relationship, that Jobs was married, that he had other children with his wife, he had somewhat transformed into a family man. Maybe he didn't spend, you know, a lot of quality time with his children. Maybe he wasn't the best of dads, but the the way they portrayed him, he was still just a, a bachelor and a jerk and full of his company and married to his company. And that was all he was doing. And it was as though it was a one man operation. It didn't really present Apple and nothing in this film presented Apple in a favorable light. Anything that Steve Jobs did in a favorable light, he, he's a jerk. And at the end of the film, he's just barely beginning to, t- to turn the corner to kind of see things from the perspective of everyone who has been arguing with him for the last hour and a half. Now, maybe he's wisening up to some of these things with age. And then just more things happen that are not historically accurate. Lisa is ultimately, in the film, the inspiration for the iPod. And Steve Wozniak is arguing points with him in 1998 that are issues that Steve Wozniak has held for almost 15 years. Problems that happened with the Apple II and the Apple II team. Like, what? Steve Wozniak would not be heatedly arguing these things in a public forum of sorts Right before Steve is to launch a, a, a very significant product in Apple history, Steve's time would be guarded. He would, be, he would have a flock of close Apple personnel, executives around him. N- nobody would be arguing about these things when they're about to give a very important presentation about something that is going to make or break Apple's future. 
You know, they were on the point of bankruptcy. They're not worried about what happened to the Apple II in the early 80s. <laughs> so a part of me, I'm in that camp, Micah, that feels a little bit more frustrated with the overall details of the story. And yet at the same time, I see why this is a very entertaining film. Mm. It's very entertaining. It's very well written. It's got good dialogue. It's clever. It's got some good humor to it. And the performances are solid. I like Michael Fassbender. I watch anything with Michael Fassbender. I haven't seen all of his films. There's a few of them I, I feel they go into the inappropriate content. Yeah. I don't want to absorb that material, but I enjoy his stuff. Jeff Daniels, to me, was the same way. It was interesting seeing him in a serious position. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I think you're right. Uh, and I probably the, the most people that were interested in this film were, I believe, people that were, had any interest in Apple whatsoever. So I think, and that's kind of testament to how well or none well it did in the box office. You know, I, you brought up some great points here. I, I, the third act, if I had to choose, was my favorite act, if you want to divide it into, like, like Boyle described it, you know, three acts. I think the third one was my favorite. Jo I did see that Jobs was a jerk, and he was a jerk in every act. But I think it was subtle in the way that they matured him uh, throughout the acts. And he, though he was a jerk in all three acts, he was a more mature jerk in the third act. But he was a jerk nonetheless, and I think I honestly think he was he had tendencies like that um, up until his unfortunate death. But because that was true, Steve Jobs that's how he got stuff done. And um, and you're right, I forgot all about the fact that Jobs would have been married to Lorraine Powell by the by the time in the third act, and she was nowhere to be found. I don't even remember if I saw a wedding ring on his hand. I don't even know if he wore one in real life, but beside the point, I believe I saw the ring on his hand. I thought about that while we were in the film. Mm. That was a, that was a detail I forgot to look for. Another point I loved was how they got into how they revealed Jobs' mind and how he how he did things in the progression of each of these acts. Just the ticks. One of my favorite lines. I was taking notes on my iPhone during the film, and one of my one of my favorite lines was uh, spoiler alert when uh, him and Andy Hertzfield had words right before the iMac launch. Kate Winslet's character came in and asked for Andy, and there was a confusion of which Andy. <laughs> and Jobs finally, you know, threw up Sands virtually and said, "That's it. One of them has to change their names." And then uh, Winslet's character was like, uh, what, "What? What do you want me to do? Are you dead serious?" He said, "Look, I know what I'm talking about when I'm talking. You know, no, of course I don't want them to change their names. My point is, we've got to figure something else out." I thought that was a great snapshot of how easy he saw others misunderstand what he was saying and they had every reason to because he was so good at doing that kind of spontaneous fly by night throwing that around <laughs> at people and uh but it really captured that for me you know how that reality distortion field oh by the way i have a question do we remember if hoffman actually coined that term because in the movie that he actually told her that you came up with that term reality distortion field i thought that was cool i forgot about if that was a true detail how who better to come up with that accurate of a description of jobs than his assistant for all those years yeah i remember it brought up in the walter isaacson book but i don't remember who came up with it but it makes sense it's, that seems to be a detail they wouldn't fudge on and I think the film did a great job at nailing that reality distortion field. It was so evident um, so many times, you know, 
what in the heck is this guy doing? <laughs> you know, it really it drug me into wow. So this is a day in the life of working around Steve Jobs, and I really think that's the crux of the film. It, it's not all about details, and no. I don't think I don't even think they came into it. Fr- frankly, Jobs' life is hard to nail down. Even even in Walter Isaac's book, I could feel Isaacson's book. I could feel kind of this. <laughs> I don't know how to handle all this material. It's so sporadic. It's 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 great. I mean, it's 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 a it's it's a human being's life, but it's like trying to nail uh, what's the phrase? Nail Jello to the wall. It's hard. His life was just hard to document into a a good solid tight biography. I, I think they probably, I guess, to give them some kudos, they did probably the best job they could. And I'm, I'm sure there were so many ways to 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 take Jobs's life. And I really think they weren't going for details. I really think they were trying to capture the essence of Jobs, um, his interactions with people, that reality distortion field, the the things that made Steve Jobs Steve Jobs. And yeah, I'm sure there are things that are different in in, in terms of accuracies there, especially uh, in the perspective of his immediate family. Um, I understand that. I really do. And I'm, I'm very, I guess, empathetic with that for sure. And uh, so that in the back of my mind, I think it's as good... I, of, I haven't seen, um, is it Pirates of Silicon Valley? Is that the? Yes. Yeah, I haven't seen yeah. that one. I need to just to get you know everything that's out there. If I had to guess, I think this is probably the the more mature, more as close as you can get to defining who Jobs was. I, I think it did a great job. So, I, Oh, and another little quick detail was the 9.41 a.m. reference. Every screenshot of every iOS device since iOS devices came around for marketing purposes has had in the timestamp 941. I've heard bits and pieces of why that is. I believe in the 84 Macintosh launch, he wanted to start at 941. Um, That was in the film. Again, I don't know if that's an accurate detail, but uh, I thought that was cool and it made me want to do some more research on it. But, um, and they also, and I think in that same act of the Macintosh, release he mentioned some kind of i think hoffman mentioned some kind of algorithm percentage that he came up with or or founded it was 94.1 percent nine four dot dot one 941 <laughs> I, that caught my attention and i wrote it down just to do some research on but i thought that was cool kind of like pixar's uh easter eggs um the whole a113 yeah, yeah. You know, number how that's that's laced throughout all the film. So I thought that was cool, and given especially that Jobs founded Pixar or, or bought or you know made Pixar into the booming film maker making company that they are. So cool little detail. Hmm. Any other thoughts, Joshua? Yeah, I'm, I'm hoping to play a little devil's advocate here. I don't think the movie really portrayed him as being that big of a jerk. I now I say that I don't I'm not going to defend everything the man did in his life or even everything maybe he did in, in the in the movie but I think it it more for me at least portrayed him accurately in that he was he was driven and he was very objective about his purpose in life you know he wanted to achieve certain goals maybe the perfectionistic side was maybe a little too far but he had he was passionate about what he did, his purpose, and he wasn't interested in, in in coddling emotions along the way. Like he wanted to produce excellent work, and I think that that is maybe it doesn't resonate with Americans because they want their emotions coddled. But like that's not how most of the world operates. Like 
he wanted to, to pursue excellent work. And I think that's, that's, that's what I took away. And, you know, yeah, was he not nice perhaps, but I mean, I don't, I don't care. Like, I'm not sure how to put this, but it's personalities like his that, that truly do big and great things. And he's, you know, this is just one case in point. You know, many people walk away from from walking, uh, working with Jobs, and, and say that they they were hurt. But but just as many, I I think, walk away saying that he pushed them to produce the best work they've done. So I mean, you know, who's to say that he's wrong in in his approach to to pursue perfection and and to pursue excellence? I think that that's a uh, a good goal. If someone's doing crap work, maybe they just need to be told they're doing crap work. You know, maybe I'm just a little hard-hearted but uh i I just i i uh i can kind of sympathize with his uh desire not to waste his time coddling people and telling them maybe you just need to work on that font a little bit more rather than saying this font is crap you not you delete it all and start start from this start from scratch so i don't know it's just maybe my personality coming through but i can kind of relate with with him and, and i don't think i don't think he was a jerk I can see where you're coming from. I don't have a problem so much with his work ethic in many ways. I think you're spot on. And that's one of the reasons why we have a lot of respect for him because he was an effective leader. He got things done. He was a visionary. He wasn't necessarily the greatest of managers, but he was a great visionary. That was one of the reasons why Next Computer lasted as long as it did was because he had everyone convinced that he was going to invent the next great big thing with Next Computer. And for a long time, people didn't really believe in what Apple was trying to accomplish at that time in uh, the late 80s and in the early 90s. When Steve came back to Apple, they were very hopeful because Steve was an effective businessman. At the same time, I mean, like we saw what he was able to do with Pixar, even if he was mostly hands-off and influential by supporting the business and giving the men there, the creative men there space to accomplish their goals. He took on a different approach with his leadership skills and he just kind of knew what he needed to do that was different for the creative team versus what he would do with a computer company. And so he was, he was very savvy. And like you said, he would know what to do in particular instances with different people. What the film doesn't accomplish though, is it doesn't accomplish showing his genius at work really it just kind of like hints at it and suggests it's there but we don't really get to see it taking place because so much of this stuff is condensed right we're basically seeing him over the span of a couple hours on three different days where there's a lot of heated discussion there's a lot of arguing there are things here that actually do make him look like a jerk like how he is tr- treating his ex-girlfriend who needs money. Yeah, he should have kicked her to the curb and not stopped giving her so much money, taking care of his daughter, and not continue to give this woman all sorts of money to go all over the world. I mean, so I don't think he was being a jerk. I think he was being too soft on her to continue to give her money. For what? It's crazy. For taking care of his daughter. I mean, that was the problem. Yeah, take care of the daughter. But he didn't even recognize the daughter. But then he would go and buy hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of stuff for this woman. I don't know. It wasn't, yeah, it was a messy relationship that didn't really make all that much sense. 
And that's the problem, right? Correct. Like the reason that we we see in the movie that he is a, a jerk, the clearest example is that he isn't taking care of his daughter, Lisa. Absolutely. He denies yeah. that he is the father. That he denies... What daughter? <laughs> not only, you know, not going to take care of her, he didn't have a daughter to take care of. Right, right. But then later, it's just sort of presumptuous, right? That eventually he succumbed to the idea that she is his daughter and he would take care of her. It's not exactly how that really happened. I know, but at the same time, we don't know exactly how it happened. We do know that they mended their ties and she was living with him at the time that the last act of the film was taking place. Yeah. And that really didn't get brought up. So again, we end the movie on this, this bittersweet note where we see perhaps Jobs is really coming around to treat his daughter right, but only at this Apple event, which is not how it happened. It doesn't really make sense in, in light of the historical events. It does, however, make great drama for a movie. So in and of itself, this is a great caricature of Steve Jobs, mm. but I'm not convinced that it's much like the real man. And for that reason, I have mixed feelings about it. So here, here's, yeah. here's where I really, I feel disappointment in the film. I had a cousin who's like 34, th no, hmm, man, he's much older now. I guess he's closer to like 39. <laughs> so my cousin, he lives up in Ohio. And he got to see this film over the weekend and it was late at night. He calls me and he just wanted to talk about the movie. He doesn't know much about Apple. He doesn't have Apple computers. He may or may not have an iPhone, but he doesn't have a special affinity for the business. So he wanted to see the film because of its historical relevance. He knew that Steve Jobs was an important person in the last half century. So he sees the movie, right? And he says, Joe, this guy was awful. He's just, he's just a bad guy. And the film is full of bad language. I couldn't, I wouldn't feel comfortable showing this to young people who might get something out of the historical value of the film. If, if it was a cleaner picture, man, the guy was just a jerk. Look at how he was treating these various people. Like he was cruel to his employees. He shunned his mentor and on and on it goes. And I was like, yeah, huh? That's not exactly what the guy was really like. The, this is in some ways true, but it's not painting the complete picture of the man. And it's overly condensed. So the, it's true. A lot of these characterizations about him are in the Walter Isaacson book. But again, they only reflect him at specific moments. And they really don't capture who he was over the course of a lifetime. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I agree. I think they they tried to they had this framework of three acts, and they took bits and pieces of things that happened in between those acts and made it flow within those acts, and and tried to condense it into a into into a into a way that they hoped, I guess, would give you the best possible, uh, like you say, caricature of of the man. So very, I, I thought there were some very powerful exchanges. Uh, one of my most memorable ones was Scully in the boardroom. Yes. Um, I, I thought that was, I, I again, re remembering back to Isaacson's book, um, Scully's seemed to be, seemed to be a mellow, you know, kind of meek and mild behind the scenes kind of a guy as, as Isaacson portrayed. And I think they did okay with that same portrayal in the film, but that, that boardroom exchange from Scully's perspective was, was pretty intense. And, um, 
a uh, very powerful scene. And also the the hallway scene with Jobs and, um, and Scully. I, I think that's a very big detail that is not true. I, I think I remember in Isaacson's book that they never spoke again. If they did, it was years and years and years. And like I'm talking, you know, within a couple of years before Steve passed away. I don't think they had that many exchanges. Um, granted, they showed that them ha- them happening in those product launches, but uh, I think that's a detail that's not true. But again, they embellished and took some creative liberties. So take that for what it's worth, I guess. But I thought those exchanges were intense and revealed some interesting aspects about their characters. So guys, let's wrap it up. Would you recommend this film to someone who enjoys Apple technology and Steve Jobs in general? Yeah, I would. I mean, I think it's a it's a redemption story. Even if they, they did purposely portray him as a jerk, uh, I think it showed him as a maturing jerk and ultimately ended on a very positive note. So yeah, it's fun. Yeah, the uh, <clears throat> Andy Hertzfield... Uh, said in in the field is uh, in the film his character said that jo- uh, Steve you seem to have mellowed I think that was in the third act um, and so they even gave some words that let us know that all right he's maturing we're getting to you know the the very popular Steve Jobs that most people began to be more familiar with and so overall I, I would recommend the film to Apple enthusiasts out there. It's an entertaining movie. I, I thought it was entertaining, and I only really think that the people that are really going to find it entertaining are those that already have vested interest in in Apple. Um, but I think it's going to be hard for people that know nothing mm. to to get anything out of the film, except to reaffirm some assumptions, albeit uh, maybe overblown, about Apple and about Steve Jobs that aren't really helpful. And that's what the film does not help with: is you know the, the people that already have assumptions that aren't very um, positive. Um, and so I think that's probably de- definitely a negative of the film. One last detail I thought was very cool was that Boyle, the director, used uh, film technology for each act that was available in that time period to film. I thought so. He did. That was a great touch. Yes. And uh, I noticed it. I, I only noticed it after I remembered it when the third act came and I realized, wow, the picture is just a lot better. Oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> now I want now, now I want to see it again, but I'm not going to the theater. I'm probably when it comes out, I'll buy it or whatever. But uh, I really want to pay attention to that. Uh, and then I remembered back into the '84, and uh, then I was reminded of the that little mm. tidbit. I thought that was really cool, really good touch. Yeah, I think I think the details are 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 interesting in this film. You know, again, not details in in people's characteristics, maybe more so the the stuff, the props, the the atmosphere. Um, oh yeah, it it was very atmospheric. It, the film felt like it was true to different eras of Apple. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. I, I enjoyed that. I took a lot from that. Yeah, I enjoyed the film mostly. Again, it makes great entertainment. It's not intended to be like the Bible on this subject. It's it's just uh, it's an interesting exploration of character choices. I see a lot of human relationship dynamics going on here. You have Steve's employees, different kinds of employees, different kinds of friends, different kinds of family that are all demanding his attention. And they're all coming at him in sort of a haphazard, randomized intervention. They're all picking on him for something that he does need to work on. And he ultimately is reasoning with them and see, he's testing to see if their arguments are true. And you can see how 
he his heart is bricked by Lisa. And it makes good for film. It makes good for entertainment value. So I'm going to be reviewing this film with diagnostics and usage this week. I'm going to put a link to that show in the show notes so that you can hear more of our thoughts and discussion there. Also talked about this on the Real World Theology podcast with Mikey Fissel and Jason Myers. That We had a great discussion about this film with a little bit more of a perspective on the worldview topics and philosophy. So it's definitely a film worth discussing. And it's a good place to start for people who really don't know much about Steve. If, if you think that they will be more interested in finding the, out who he really was, if, if someone just wants to know whether or not they could become interested in his life story, and if they want to invest time in reading a biography about him, see what, see what you make of this fictionalized character, and then go from there. If, if you like it, then you'll probably enjoy a lot more about the real Steve Jobs from getting more information from the sources. Well, Micah, that's going to wrap it up this week. Uh, thank you for joining us. Very good thoughts. I appreciated your perspective. Thank you. My pleasure. I really was looking forward to it. I really thank you for inviting me. Where would you like people to find you online? I am on Twitter. I'm trying to create more of a presence there. Uh, my handle is at Micah underscore Pogue, and that's P-O-G-U-E. That's Twitter. Uh, my blog is micapogue.com, and I'm on Facebook at the same name, Instagram at the same name. Yeah, check me out. All right. And thanks, Joshua. Yeah. You had good thoughts, too. Thanks. This completes episode 31 of Tectonic. Visit tectonic.fm slash 31 for the show notes and links. If you want to connect with us here at the show, we are at Tectonic FM on Twitter. And send your feedback via email to hello at tectonic.fm if you want to suggest a topic for a future discussion. Just drop it in there. And if you want to catch up with me on Twitter, I'm underscore Joe Darnell. My co-host is at Joshua Pfeiffer. Pfeiffer is spelled P-E-I-F-F-E-R. If you want to help us out, go check us out on iTunes and give us a star rating and leave us a review. It'll help others to discover the show. I'm Joe Darnell. Thanks for listening to the Tectonic Podcast. Fetal position desks, which are even popping up in offices like Google and Facebook, come in a variety of shapes and sizes. Some have adjustable height so you can cower underneath them, while more expensive options include a warm, pulsating blanket for workers to wrap themselves in to feel calm. But many people are making their own. I've rigged this up so I can type comfortably and my arms won't get tired. Plus, it's got speakers so I can listen to a comforting voice saying shh over and over again.